You know, every Sunday before I preach, I always say a prayer, and I do that because I believe that I can't preach on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to make my words of anything. But I got a giggle over my sabbatical. I got to watch a lot of different preachers I like, and one of them is named Dr. Frank Thomas, and he's an African-American preacher in Indiana, and he put it this way. I'm going to make sure I get it right. If the pews ain't praying, the preacher ain't preaching. And what he means by that is that we should all be praying together, that God's Holy Spirit would come and make this sermon what it should be. So would you, the pews, pray with me? Gracious God, there is no such thing as preaching without your Holy Spirit in every word. And so we all pray those in the pews and me in the pulpit, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come. That it would come and make this sermon what you want it to be. That your word alone would stand and anything human would fall away. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you remember from your Old Testament reading, there were different times in the history of ancient Israel when God would raise up a prophet to come and speak to God's people. Prophets were not beloved because usually they had a word that was hard for people to hear. A prophet would say, you have strayed from the way of God and God is calling you to come back and follow in the way of faithfulness. And that's the kind of prophet that Jeremiah is, who we will hear about today. Jeremiah was born in the 7th century BCE, and we are told that at a relatively young age, God called him as a prophet. And he was called during the time of the divided kingdom, a time when both Judah had been overrun by the Assyrians and Jerusalem was being overrun by the Babylonians when people were being sent into exile. And the first part of Jeremiah is a really hard message because the message Jeremiah has is this is happening because you were unfaithful to God. This is your doing. You are unfaithful to God and now God is allowing this to happen. It is a hard, hard thing to hear, especially when your homes have been destroyed and you've been sent off in exile. But today, in the 33rd chapter of Jeremiah, there's a shift, and we have a word of hope. And we find Jeremiah talking to the people who are looking at their cities, the city of Jerusalem, the cities of Judah, that have just been destroyed. Nothing remains. And as the people are looking at that, the prophet Jeremiah has a word from God. So listen now to the 33rd chapter of Jeremiah, verses 1 through 11 and 14 through 18. Thus says the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah, In this place of which you say it is a waste of human beings or animals in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without inhabitants, humans or animals. In this place, God says, there shall once more be heard the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. 
the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as it first, says the Lord. Yes, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to make grain offerings, and to make sacrifices for all time. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So week before last, my family and I put up our Christmas tree, and one of my favorite things to do is look at the ornaments from which my kids, when they were small, and remember those Christmases. For some reason, they're always the ugliest ornaments, but they're my favorite ones, you know, that they made in, like, preschool, and they've got years of wear on them. And I was also thinking about the Christmases of when I was small, and I had some great Christmas mornings with some wonderful surprises and being with my brothers and family. But as we were decorating the tree, it occurred to me that what I really loved as a kid was Christmas Eve. Loved it. Because every Christmas Eve, we went to my grandparents' house, my dad's parents. And it was unusual because my parents had been divorced for a long time. But when we were small, my mom went with us. And she would wake us up in the middle of the night, and she'd made a bed in the back of our pinto, and she would put us in the bed and drive through the night so that we got to my grandmother's on Christmas, Christmas Eve morning. I thought it was magical. I now know we just didn't argue when we slept. That's why she did it. But we would arrive on Christmas morning, and I loved it because everyone was welcome. I can remember my grandmother, who my mother was a full-blown alcoholic long before this time, and my grandparents knew it, but she would swing open that screen door and she would say, Claudia, I'm so glad to see you. And she would welcome my mama in. And on Christmas Eve, my mom and my dad, they got along. There were no arguments. There was no acrimony. There was none of that. And my mom, for her part, she didn't drink on Christmas Eve. She must have been terribly uncomfortable, but she was there, and she was trying. And with my adult eyes, I think that what I loved most was the anticipation that for one day things were going to be right in my world. 
I'd lay in the folded down back seat of that pinto squished between two stinky brothers and I would be so excited. And I think what I was really excited about is that for one day, everything was going to be right in the world. That out of the pain and the chaos and the devastation of my life, people were going to get along and they were going to love each other. And friends, let me tell you, only the birth of Jesus Christ could make that happen. I feel for the people of Israel and of Judah that Jeremiah is speaking to because they are also living with devastation and chaos and pain. They have lived for years under a series of terrible kings who treated people so unjustly. The poor were not taken care of. And if that weren't bad enough, here come the Assyrians in the north sacking everything and the Babylonians in the south. And the Babylonians say, not only are we going to destroy Jerusalem, we're going to send you off to live in Babylon, away from everything you know. And the prophet Jeremiah, if they're paying attention, man, he's had a hard word for them. He has said, this is your fault. You have not been faithful to God. And so this has happened until the 33rd chapter of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah has a word of hope for the people. And Jeremiah comes to them and he says, I see the desolation of your lives. I see how hard it is for you. And I want you to know that God says this, there will again be mirth and gladness. There will again be the voice of those who are beloved to one another, the bride and bridegroom. In fact, Jeremiah says, God has a word that says, not only that, but you will be filled so with joy that you'll come singing to worship. And it must have seemed unimaginable to them. But that's the word of hope Jeremiah has. You see, Jeremiah says, things are broken and painful right now, but God will set the world to rights. You will have your day when it's all restored. And how's it going to happen? It tells us in the text that at that time, God will cause a righteous branch to spring from David. Now, I imagine to those first century listeners, they must think there's going to be another king on the way. Another King David is coming. But you and I know who the righteous branch is. The righteous branch from the line of David is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ will come into the world and will set the world to rights and will bring mirth and laughter and love and redemption and people will be filled with joy and there will be singing in their hearts. It is Jesus Christ that Jeremiah is pointing to. And so this Advent season, we celebrate what we call the threefold meaning of Advent. The first meaning of Advent is we celebrate that Jesus Christ came into the world as that baby in the manger. That God cared enough for us, that God came to be with us, Emmanuel. We celebrate that in Advent. We remember that Christ came into the world. 
The second meaning of Advent is that we also celebrate that Jesus Christ continually comes into our lives, that Jesus lives within our hearts, in the world, working out God's purposes, guiding and loving God's people. That's the second meaning of Advent. But the last meaning of Advent is that we also believe there will come a day when Jesus Christ will come again and will make the world as it should be. That Jesus Christ will set the world to right. That all of the illness and all of the war and all of the acrimony and all of the pain of this world will be taken upon Christ and he will renew the world as it should be. We believe in the second coming of Christ. And sometimes that seems like the most audacious thing you could possibly say, doesn't it? I mean, sure, we believed he came as a baby. We believe he's in our hearts now. But do we really believe he will come again? The answer is that scripture testifies to it over and over again. There are a million little ways that Jesus Christ comes into the world right now and makes the world right. But I am inviting you this Advent season to hope with me for the day when Christ comes and will make it all right, the world as it should be. Have hope for that day. Do not let yourself get mired in despair. It is the truth of Advent in the world. So just like as a little kid, I would lay and just anticipate the goodness of Christmas Eve at my grandparents. I invite you this Advent season to anticipate and hope for the goodness of when our Lord and Savior will come again. We have gratitude for the baby in the manger. We have gratitude for Christ's presence with us now. But let us have hope that Christ will set the world to rights in Christ's own time. And it is my hope that this Advent, and cre this Advent and Christmas season, you can join me in saying, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.